on the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry. I'm delighted to be joined by Professor Anne-Marie O'Dwyer, chatting all things the psychiatry of cancer. I want to say that it's very common to be very distressed, to have a very prominent psychological response to cancer, that they are not alone that lots of other people feel in that way and that it's important for them to have information. Information is power, but it has to be the right information. As ever, we're available on all podcast platforms. This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919, 1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts. This is an Irish independent podcast. Today on the Indo-Daily, the unsolved murder of Jill Dando. Good evening. A massive police hunt is underway tonight in West London for the killer of Jill Dando, who was murdered earlier today outside her terraced home in Fulham. Police said tonight she died from a single shot to the head. In 1999, Jill Dando was the golden girl of British television. The 37-year-old's murder on her front doorstep shocked not just the UK, but her viewers on BBC across the world. The Queen said she was shocked and saddened by the news. The BBC's Director-General Sir John Burt said Jill was one of the nation's sweethearts. And despite an intensive investigation and an eventual arrest, the mysterious culprit remains at large to this day. This was one of the largest murder investigations the Metropolitan Police ever had to face. It was the biggest reward in criminal history in this country. A new Netflix documentary has revived speculation surrounding the brutal killing of the acclaimed journalist. But are we any closer to solving the murder of Jill Dando? If you harbour any suspicions, do call. So many clues and so much anguish. Do you ever get worried about some of the things you see on crime watch? Oh, yes you do. But the crimes that we show are so rare. You know, it's not something that you walk out into the street and think, oh my gosh, the same thing's going to happen to me. I'm Kevin Doyle, and today on the Indo-Daily, I'm joined by Jenny Bond, former royal correspondent for the BBC, who worked alongside Jill to look back on a murder that led to one of the biggest UK police investigations ever. Jenny Bond, take us back to April 1999. You were on air and a story was breaking. Did you find out live on air and have to tell that to the nation or was it something that you were pulled aside and told beforehand? No, no. I remember it was a lovely sort of spring day and I was wearing a rather nice uh, spring blue suit to do the the bulletins, which are the, the news reports you have on the hour and then uh, some of the main news bulletins later in the day. It was somewhere, I think, between the noon bulletin and the 1 p.m., Suddenly rumours started coming into the newsroom that there'd been a killing. We thought it was a stabbing at first of all, and it was in Fulham, which is in West London. And the awful whispers began around the newsroom. And you know that newsrooms are a buzzing place with all the noise and stuff going on. Suddenly it was cold and quiet and silence and people were whispering and they were saying, they're saying it's Jill. Now, Jill Dando was one of the most high-profile BBC presenters at the time. 
Time to pack up your cares and woe now. BBC One's going on holiday with Jill Dando. Hello, this week I've come to Switzerland and the shores of Lake Geneva. My final destination is the town of Montreux. Very well loved in the country and very well loved in the newsroom. And no one, no one could believe this could be Jill, who probably been there the day before, was expected the day after, was always reading the news, doing other shows like like Crime Watch and the Holiday Programme. No one could believe that our Jill, aged just 37, could have been murdered. But gradually it became clear and the following minutes ensued that it was Jill. It's been confirmed it was it was Jill. And I think one of the other um, news outlets, other networks, actually broke the news on air because we at the BBC were determined to be certain that her nearest and dearest had been informed before we broadcast it, her, her fiancé, Alan Farthing, her father and her brother. And when we'd ascertained that, we put out a news flash just a few minutes after the others, I suppose, but we did want to be sure. And my bosses came to me and said, because I knew Jill well, you know, are you okay to do this? And yeah, I was pretty shaky, I suppose, but uh, your professional instincts take over. Jill was 37. 37. Peter, I'm telling you, she was 37. Right. I told her she was 37. What should I say? I'm telling you, she was definitely 37. Definitely. Here we go. Within the past few minutes, police have confirmed that the BBC television presenter, Jill Dando, has been stabbed to death outside her West London home. She died in the ambulance on her way to hospital. There are no more details at the moment. We'll talk about Jill the person and, and your friend in just a second, but what is it like in that moment where you presumably it's coming up on the auto queue in front of you and you have to read those words. What's going through your head in that five seconds when the before you have to actually say it? Well, to keep it together, for goodness sake, don't let your voice go or emotional and shaky. But it doesn't I mean, people might expect that to happen, but, you know, you're professional and you've just got to impart this news. I think my voice was a bit shaky. I'd been through the experience of talking about the death of, of Diana a couple of years earlier, and I've known Diana as well, obviously not as well as, as Jill. But it was a similar sort of feeling that can this be true, that someone I knew uh, so, well, quite well uh, in both cases, and who was so vibrant and so alive, you know, 24 hours ago, two hours ago, how, how could this possibly be? So you just try and keep it together. Jill Dando was possibly the most popular woman on British television. She was certainly the busiest. A new series began only last night. Her unaffected glamour, easy professionalism, radiant good nature, lighting up the antiques inspectors. The front cover of Radio Times this week, again. The fame she carried so naturally, greater than ever. The fame that almost certainly killed her. Tell us about Jill, I guess you were friends with her. You say she was a popular figure in the newsroom. About, tell us about her journey in journalism. Yeah, she really was. She was pretty well known as the girl next door. Um, she was also known a little bit as um, television's Diana. I, I just referenced Diana. And, you know, they were similar in age and similar in looks. Jill had come up through the traditional method of journalism, you know, through um, regional television in the, in the West Country. I think she worked on newspapers before that. And she joined the newsroom. 
A modest start there. Teenage reporter doing garden fates for the Western Mercury. Ah, this brings back memories. I had my first job on this paper. The girl reporter graduated naturally to local television. The camera loved her, even before she wore the gloss of stardom. Jill was working at the time for the local paper in Western Supermare. Uh, she applied for the job, and it was obvious from the first time I met her that day, back in the mid-1980s, that uh, she was a tremendously talented person. She was a lovely person to deal with, and uh, I just knew she'd go far. The move to London, to the BBC's breakfast programme, showed she had authority as well as charm, could handle the big stories. Breakfast news from the BBC. There's one story this morning, the dramatic end of the Gorbachev era in the Soviet Union. I think that's where I first knew her on Breakfast News. Um, and she was just completely charming. She had, I think, what in television terms is called it. And it is something quite undefinable. It is something I don't have, actually. I've been t I was told that by one of my bosses. <laughs> but um, Jill just did. She was just, she engaged you. She engaged the camera. And she was someone you just were so happy to have in your living room. And we were very happy to have in the newsroom. She was unpretentious. She, although she achieved enormous fame, I mean, she was known practically in every household in the country. And the BBC gave her lots of terrifically high-profile programmes. She never let it go to her head. And what you saw on the screen was what you got off the screen as well. So uh, we all loved her very much. I, I wasn't, a, I never say I was a personal friend in that I didn't go around to her house. I didn't socialise with her much. Uh, we did go to some fashion shows together, but we just hang out in the makeup room and, and, and chat, you know, girly things. And uh, she was just thoroughly, thoroughly nice. It's rare that a reporter can say that a murder victim was the kind of woman who had no enemies. I can say that about Jill Dando. Her death is a shock to all who knew her personally and also to millions of people who knew her as a friendly, charming person on television. Kate Aidy, BBC News, Fulham. Yeah, work colleagues. And I think, you know, journalism is a particular industry where you share a lot of things in common that maybe uh, you wouldn't if you met in the outside world, I guess, is, is a fair way maybe of looking at it. But was there any sense or would you have known, I mean, with that great fame and popularity, you always, well, you do sometimes become a target for certain people who don't like you or for various reasons. Was there any sense that Jill was in any danger before her murder? Absolutely not to my knowledge. And uh, the documentary on Netflix has just come out doesn't point to that at all. Obviously, when you present a programme like Crime Watch, which is trying to shine a light, a judiciary light, on some, some pretty terrible criminals, it does run a risk. And there is a theory that it was someone in gangland who... Uh, was trying to get their own back and uh, decided to to have her taken out. And she'd also fronted an appeal for Kosovo. This Easter weekend, we've all become aware of the humanitarian crisis facing the Balkans as thousands of people from Kosovo have left their homes and arrived on the borders of neighbouring countries. This is a massive exodus. Around 600,000 people are on the move. This was the time of the Serbian-Kosovan War, and she'd fronted a television appeal, as you do for these things, and there was a rampant theory that, in fact, she had been assassinated by a Serb hitman. Neither of these have been proved, and I think that's, that's probably one reason why this is an enduring story, because it was someone 
So many people knew at the time, and it, it's a crime that's gone unsolved for all these 25 years, quarter of a century. We're no closer to knowing the truth. This is a, a somber, and for me, a surreal Crime Watch UK. For all of us here, it can be grueling coping with crimes against victims who are strangers. It's been almost unbearable dealing with Jill's death. Jill Dando was much more than a colleague. She was everyone's friend. Crime Watch is poorer without her. But this program was her passion. And now, as Jill helped others, we hope we can do the same for her, for her family, and for her fiancé, Alan. Which is astonishing in its own way because police were overwhelmed by the public reaction at the time, weren't they? Uh, they were. In fact, I think it, it almost hampered them. They had so many potential leads. Some were completely fraudulent. I mean, there was one suggestion and someone came forward to su suggest it was to do with a drug gang uh, trying to get their own back somehow, maybe because of the crime watch. But that turned out to be just a hoax. I think it was about 10 months after Jill's death that eventually the police did charge someone with her murder. His name was Barry George and he lived only about 500 yards away. And when they searched his flat, there were photographs of, of local women. There were, I think there were four copies of the BBC Memorial magazine to Jill. And in his pocket, they found what was thought to be the residue of a, of a bullet that the forensic evidence was put forward. And that more or less, I think, clinched his conviction. He served eight years in jail, but then there was a retrial. The forensic evidence was discounted and his conviction was quashed. So he was interviewed all these years later in the documentary and, and clearly feels quite bitter about the eight years he spent in jail. But that leaves us absolutely no closer to the killer. There were nine suspects in all who were fully investigated by police. These included Barry George. They also included an elderly man who was obsessed with Jill and was seen on Garran Avenue on the morning of her murder. They included a police officer who knew Jill. Uh, they included two businessmen. Uh, they included a, a hitman who was suspected of carrying out other murders. So. Um, these nine suspects were you know, a huge amount of work. It still went nowhere until they eventually came across Barry George. It was July 2001, Jenny, when Barry George was convicted. Was there an acceptance then among the public, among the police, that this was it? The case had been solved and effectively the story was over? Yes, I think so. I think people very much wanted to believe that the, this crime, this horrible crime, could be solved and would be solved. And I think there was a sort of a will to believe that it was Barry George, but still there were doubts around it. And I think not everyone was convinced he was the right man. So, but I think people wanted to believe it because we're so used to, you know, crime stories where there is this murder hunt and then, yes, we have the conviction. Well, Yes, there was the murder hunt. And no, we do not have the answer. So the hunt obviously restarted in August 2008 when he gets out of prison. After more than eight years in prison, Barry George is a free man, cleared of the murder of TV presenter Jill Dando. He left from the back of the court, trying to escape the cameras. Mr George's family have campaigned tirelessly for his release. 
We've been fighting for many years. Now we need time to get back together as a family. We also hope that the police will now look again into the murder of Jill Dando. Thank you. Where did police go then? Because you mentioned there were several theories at the time. Have they got a, a second most likely theory? Well, I mean, they went down these various avenues of the criminal world because of her connection to Crime Watch, of um, Serbia, but they could not come up with any conclusive evidence in any direction at all. It seems to be a blank page, really. I don't know if any of those theories have been thoroughly discounted. I, at the end of the Netflix documentary, I think the main conclusion, if, if you can call it a conclusion, is that quite possibly Jill was just the wrong person at the wrong time, that it was a random killing. If it was uh, a hitman, if it was an assassination, then surely there would be evidence that she was being followed. And there were there were closed-circuit television shots of her, images of her, very shortly before she got home, and there's no evidence she was being followed. And I should explain that at this time of her life, Jill had a house in Fulham, but she was engaged to a lovely man called Alan Farthing. Um, they were to be married a few months later. First of all, I just want to tell you, Alan, how very upset all Jill's colleagues are and how we send you all our best wishes and condolences and to ask you how you're coping at the moment. I think I'm coping in the same way as anybody else would cope under the circumstances. I'm devastated. Everybody around me is devastated. Everybody is trying to offer as much support as they possibly can. I cannot believe what has happened. I cannot understand what has happened. She was spending nearly all her time at Alan's house. That's where she really lived. But occasionally she popped back to Fulham to just check everything on the house or to do something. And this was a day when she'd chosen to do it. No one would have known her plans. Maybe even that morning she didn't know she was going to pop back to her house. So people ask, and I'm sure the police have asked, you know, how could anyone have known she was going to be there? So was it just a random killing? Uh, I think that they did suggests that a professional hitman would not have left the shell, the outer casing of the bullet on the doorstep, which apparently did happen. So perhaps it was not a professional hitman. I wish, I wish I knew. And that's really why her brother, Nigel, gave his blessing to this documentary, because he's hoping that all the years, years, years on, going through the evidence as they have, uh, the producers, perhaps it will jog people's memory. Just one tiny bit of evidence might come forward and eventually, finally, perhaps the, the, the clue that would nail a conviction uh, will be found. One of the things police did was go through her private diaries, which none of us would like uh, to be gone through in that way. That did bring them on a number of leads around past relationships that she'd had. But again, that didn't seem to come to any great end. Yes, indeed, they, they did get through her diaries and stuff. But uh, um, Jill was pretty much a, an open book, I think. Um, of course, she'd had some relationships, you know, who hadn't a woman of, of her age, but she was so happily engaged to um, Alan. But yes, I think a few of her former boyfriends were interviewed at some length, undoubtedly, by the police. But I think all those leads, supposed leads, were quickly discounted. 
You mentioned that her family are on board with the documentary, which indeed you appear in yourself, uh, Jenny. Do you think there is any hope at this remove of it bringing forward new evidence? There was so much publicity about this at the time, over the years when Barry George was acquitted, that you would imagine if somebody was going to come forward with something new, they would probably have done it by now. You would. I think it seems very, very unlikely. I mean, I think the only hope is that there's been such progress in things like DNA and general investigative methods, about which I know nothing. But um, there are cases, aren't they, where cold cases have been revived and have been solved, but I don't hold out much hope for, for this one, I'm afraid. And finally, going back, what was the impact of Jill's murder on the BBC and the people you worked with and the organisation? Well, we were first shocked and then we were all incredibly sad. And then I think we were all just a little bit worried. You know, when when I used to go home late at night, because you work quite late at night, you know, the nine o'clock, 10 o'clock news, you get home to your front doorstep at, at 11 o'clock, it's pretty dark and you, you put your key in the door. And yeah, I did used to look over my shoulder and I could, if this was a professional job, if it was the, the Serbians, um, for example, or gangland, were they happy? Would they be happy with one person? Did they want more? So yeah, I think we, I believe, I can't honestly remember it's a long time ago, but I believe we were offered some kind of security if we wanted it. It, I don't, don't think we took it. But yeah, everyone was on their guard. But more than all that, never mind thinking about yourselves, we were just so desperately sorry for um, Jill's family and so sorry for Alan because the marriage that he'd been so looking forward to was not going to happen. And f- final word then, Jenny, I suppose to end, what's your fondest or your lasting memory after all these years of Jill Dando? <laughs> oh, probably coming in the makeup room and, and um, well, we had lo- lovely makeup artists doing because I, I used to read the news sometimes as well as she did. And she'd say, oh, your hair, it's, it's too clumpy. It's too clumpy. Look, let me do it. And she'd get out a little bit of wax and she'd just run her fingers through my hair and make it look much better instantly. So, you know, there, there was just a, a an idea of her generosity of spirit because being a journalist and in this business, it can be quite backbiting and uh, people can be quite jealous of one another. But she wasn't. She was so giving. And that's the main news tonight, the brutal killing that today stunned everyone here at the BBC Television Centre. At the age of 37, in her prime as the nation's most popular presenter and radiantly looking forward to marriage in the autumn, Jill Dando was shot down by an attacker outside her home not two miles from here. A senseless murder that leaves this newsroom in which she worked a darker place and makes a lot poorer the medium which she graced. Good night. Jenny Bond, thank you very much. My thanks to Jenny Bond, former royal correspondent with the BBC. I'm Kevin Doyle, and today's episode of the Indo Daily was produced by Garrett Mulhall and Dee Reddy, researched by Dave Hanrahi, with sound by Niall McMonagall. Archive clips were from BBC, Netflix, ITV and the Irish Independent. If you enjoy the Indo Daily, don't forget to like, follow and leave us a review. Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. 087-6797-104.